Well, I'd like to welcome those of you who are watching us online today. Uh, we are one church in two locations. I'm actually here at our Sugarloaf campus, and our Mill Creek campus will be meeting at the venue at Friendship Springs, which is located at the intersection of Friendship Road and Spout Springs Road, right between Brazelton and Flowery Branch. And so I want to encourage you to attend whichever campus is closest to you. Um, it may be the largest fire in American history, perhaps the largest fire ever to burn. As a matter of fact, just to read about it almost singes the hair on your head because for two terrifying days and night on August the 20th and 21st, 1910, this fire raged across millions of acres of timberland in northern Ohio or Idaho and western Montana. It all started when some scattered fires burning in a very dry area was hit by some hurricane force winds, and within six hours, fires became firestorms. Trees by the millions became exploding candles. Millions of trees were sucked up from the ground, roots and all becoming flying blowtorches. Wind-powered fireballs were reported rolling from ridgetop to ridgetop at 70 miles per hour, leaping canyons a half mile wide in one fluid motion. They said entire mountainsides were ignited in an instant. No one had ever seen a fire like this. Trees, bushes, anything flammable was exploding like Roman candles. At noon on the next day, it was dark as far as Canada, as far south as Denver, Colorado, and as far east as New York. To the west, the sky was so filled with smoke and ashes that ships 500 miles out to sea could not get navigate by the stars. When it was over, this fire had burned three million acres, had destroyed enough timber to, kill, to fill a freight train 2,400 miles long, and it killed 86 people. By the time they finally put out this massive forest fire, it had burned 4,700 square miles. Put that in perspective. The entire state of Connecticut went up in smoke. Now, that may be the largest fire in American history, and it may be one of the largest in all of history, but I don't believe it is the largest fire that has ever, ever been put out. I believe that fire is put out every day by followers of Jesus. I believe that fire is put out many, many Sundays in many, many churches. And I'm talking about the fire of the Holy Spirit. We have been in a series that we've been calling Holy Who on the Holy Spirit because I've said in, in, in this whole series we've been doing, and I really believe this. In fact, I found this out from the comments and the feedback we've gotten from so many of you who have said, I, I didn't know about the Holy Spirit. I didn't know this about the Holy Spirit. I did not know that about the Holy Spirit. And we said last week that there's a problem sometimes with ignorance of the Holy Spirit. We don't know much about Him. And on the other hand, there's a problem with indifference. Even though we may know something about Him, living a true Spirit-filled, Spirit-drilled, Spirit-thrilled life is not just on the radar screen of most believers on a daily basis. And so we, 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 we've come to learn several things about the Holy Spirit in this series. So by way of review, just to remind you, we've learned that the Holy Spirit is a real person. He's not an it. He's not a force. He's not a power. He is a person. And so we've been talking in this series about how we ought to be related, rightly related to the Holy Spirit. And so let me just give you a super quick review. A couple of weeks ago, we said that we must receive the filling of the Spirit. 
Ephesians 5, 18 says, be filled with the Spirit. God wants us to live a life that is lived in the Spirit, not in the flesh, and that's led by the Spirit, not led by the flesh. So we must receive the filling of the Spirit. Then last week we said, we must respect the feelings of the Spirit. Ephesians 4.30 says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And that word grieve means to, to break someone's heart. It, it means to cut to the quick. And we said last week that there are certain things that if we do not do them, we grieve the Holy Spirit. We will hurt the feelings and break the heart of the Holy Spirit. So when we don't allow the Holy Spirit to control the way we think and the way we talk and the way we act, we grieve him. We hurt his feelings. Today, I want to go one step further. And I want to show you that we must not only receive the filling of the Spirit, and we must not only respect the feelings of the Spirit, we must release the freedom of the Spirit. I want to show you what I'm talking about. If you're on a copy of God's Word or you have a smart tablet or an iPhone or whatever it is you might use, I want you to turn to a book in the Bible. It's actually a letter that was written. It's called 1 Thessalonians. Now, if you don't know where that is, the easiest way to find it is find a Bible, go all the way back to the maps and whatever you have in the back of your Bible, turn right about 30 or 40 pages, and you're going to run into a little book called 1 Thessalonians. We're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Let me give you the background of what's going on. There was a man by the name of Paul who went to a city called Thessalonica. I've been there before, and it's over uh, in Greece, and he had actually founded a church there. He had actually founded a group of believers there. Well, there's this, they're, they're, they're brand new. They don't know what it really means. They don't know much about Christianity. They've just recently come to know Christ, and so they're kind of learning the basics of what it means to be a Christian. Beyond that, they're under tremendous persecution. The, the Jews in that city are not happy about the Christian movement, and, and they're getting a lot of pressure and a lot of, of persecution. So Paul has written this letter to encourage them, to bless them, to strengthen them, to tell them to hang in the battle, to tell them to, to stay strong uh, in the Lord. And so toward the end of this letter, he writes something very interesting, and I bet many of you don't even know this verse is in the Bible. He says, do not quench the Spirit. First, he says, be filled with the Spirit. And, 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 and then he says, do not grieve the Spirit. Now he says, do not quench the Spirit. Now that word quench is a very strong word. It literally means to put out a fire by drowning with water. One translation puts it this way. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. That word can also mean don't turn out a light. Now, whether you know this or not, in the Bible, the Holy Spirit is often symbolized as a fire. Well, a fire, as you know, does two things. It gives off heat, but it also gives off light. And so within every believer, what we've learned is there is a fire burning in your heart who is called the Holy Spirit. And as we live the Spirit-filled life, we're to be shining the light of Jesus to other people. And yet Paul now is going to tell us that there are things that we can do individually and there are things that we can do together as a church that will literally put out the fire of the Holy Spirit. It will turn off the light of the Holy Spirit. Now, you may be asking a good question. I hope some of you are. You may be saying, hey, wait a minute. So what is the difference between grieving the Holy Spirit and quenching the Holy Spirit? It's a great question. So let me put it to you this way. This is the simplest way to remember it. We grieve the Holy Spirit by what we do to Him. We quench the Holy Spirit by what we refuse to let Him do through 
us. So if you remember last week, I said, when you don't control your thoughts or you don't control your tongue or you don't control your temper, you grieve the Holy Spirit. It's what we do to him. But we're going to learn today that we quench the Holy Spirit by what we refuse to let him do through us. Or to put it to another way, we quench the Holy Spirit by doing what he tells us not to do. We quench the Holy Spirit by not doing what he tells us to do. So when you know the Holy Spirit is telling you, control that temper, control that tongue, control those thoughts, but you don't do it, you're grieving. But when the Holy Spirit tells you do this or do that and you don't do it, you quench the Holy Spirit. Now, you're probably asking another question. So what do you do? What are those kind of things that we do that quench the Holy Spirit? Well, because this verse comes right in the middle of a section beginning in verse 16 that, 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 that are filled with imperative verbs, we know what we have to do to make sure that we do not quench the Holy Spirit of God. So I'm not going to be negative. I want to be positive. Let me tell you those things that throw kerosene on the fire. Let me tell you those things that we ought to be doing both individually and as a church. And when we do them, it makes the fire of the Holy Spirit burn hotter. It makes the light of the Holy Spirit shine brighter. So let's look at some things that I know the Spirit wants me to do and you to do individually and some things that God, that the Holy Spirit wants the church to do corporately and together that to fail to do quenches the Holy Spirit. They're right here in our text. So here's how we're going to make sure we don't put the fire out. We make the fire burn even brighter. First of all, we should celebrate God's worship. One of the things the Spirit of God loves is he loves spirit-filled worship. Now, when a fire is burning and burning brightly, you don't have to tell anybody. You know that, right? I mean, if there's a big fire burning, number one, you can feel the heat. And number two, you can see the fire. Well, this is what the fire will look like and feel like in our worship when we're throwing kerosene on the fire. Go back to verse 16. He says, rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, let me just stop. If you're reading your Bible and you came across that verse, you might think that Paul is talking to you individually, and, and he is always. I mean, the whole Bible is addressed to us individually. However, what you would not know, unless you knew the Greek language, is every one of those verbs are plural. So what he said was, rejoice you all. Pray you all, give you all. He's not just talking to individual believers. He is talking to the church. And what Paul is saying to the church is, these are the things that ought to be present every time you come together to worship. These are the things that outsiders walking into a church should see and feel and experience when they walk into a true worship service. Because I believe that when believers and unbelievers walk into any church where God's people are truly celebrating God's worship, this is what they're going to feel, this is what they're going to see, and this is what they're going to experience. Let's just take these one at a time. Paul says, first of all, if you want to throw kerosene on the fire of the Holy Spirit in your worship and in our church, your worship services should be filled with joy and praise. So he says in verse 16, rejoice always. Now remember, the Holy Spirit is a fire. And if you know anything about a fire, there's only one of two things you can do to a fire. You can either throw water on it and you can quench it, or you can throw fuel on it and you can intensify it. 
And one of the things that fuels the fire of the Holy Spirit is when we come into, our, come into a church like ours and we come into a worship service like this one and we're not lackadaisical, we don't act bored, we don't act disinterested, we come in full bore, we're ready to worship with joy, we're ready to worship with praise, we're excited about what God is going to do. And by the way, keep in mind that all of these verbs that we looked at a moment ago, we're going to look at again, they're not just plural in number. They are all imperatives. They are commands. So Paul says, rejoice always. Now you may be sitting there and say, well, nobody can rejoice always. No, you're misunderstanding what Paul's saying. You're thinking about happiness, and you are exactly right. You can always choose to be happy, but we're not talking about happiness. You see, happiness depends upon what happens. If what happens is good, you're happy. If what happens is not bad, you're not happy happy. So your circumstances can actually determine whether or not you're happy. Okay, put that aside. He didn't say be happy always. I mean, nobody's happy always. I'm not happy always. You're not happy always. Here's what he said. Rejoice always. You know why? Because if you're a believer, happiness is not a choice. It depends on what happens to you. Joy is a choice. You can always choose to be joyful whether you are happy or not. Here's why. Happiness comes when good things are happening on the outside, but good things don't always happen on the outside. Joy comes because we have God on the inside. You see, that's why we can be full of joy if the interest rates are going up, if the economy's tanking, if the price of gasoline's off the charts, if things are not going well at home, it doesn't matter. You can be full of joy because you're full of the Holy Spirit. One of the fruits of the Holy Spirit is joy. And if the Holy Spirit is filling you like we've talked about, you will be full of the joy of the Holy Spirit. Now, I realize there's some big objections going on or some big questions in your mind. So wait, 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 wait a minute. How can you rejoice when you're out of a job, can't even pay your bills. How, how can you rejoice when you're battling cancer? How, how can you rejoice when you're going through a dark valley in your marriage? How can you rejoice when you've got a prodigal child? How can you rejoice when life just isn't going your way? It looks like we've all been there. Well, think about this. Let's just take some of you right now, and you're going through one hellacious time in your life over whatever it may be, marriage, health, kids, finances, doesn't matter. No matter what you're going through right now, I can tell you three things that are absolutely true. If you're a believer in Jesus, there are three things that are absolutely true about your life right now. First thing that's true is this. God is in control of your life. He knows what's going on. There's not one renegade molecule in your life. He's got everything under control. Here's the second thing, second thing we know. God is always with you. We know that because of the series we've been doing. When you give your life to Jesus, Jesus gives you the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit goes with you everywhere you go. And here's the third thing we know. God is working everything out for your good. No, it doesn't mean everything happening to you right now is good because some things are happening right now, right now to you is just not good. But what God has promised is this, because I'm in you and because I'm for you and because I'm with you, I guarantee you, I'm gonna take everything you're going through right now and I'm gonna work it out for your good. Now I wanna ask you a question. If those three things are true, how can you not be full of joy? How can, not, how can there not just be a, a fountain of joy bubbling up 
in your heart. See, when people walk into a true worship service, they ought to see a people, a church full of people, full of joy. We should express it in the way we worship. Let, let me give you, uh, give you an illustration of this. Don't raise your hand, but I just want to ask you a question because I, I, can, I would raise my hand if, if we were. Have you ever been to a boring worship service? I mean, have you ever just been to a worship service just bored you out of your mind? Can I be, answer, be honest with you? It's a trick question. Because you may have answered, well, yes, I have. Well, no, you really haven't because that's an impossibility. You say, what do you mean? Well, boring worship is an oxymoron. There is no such thing as a boring worship service. You say, sure there is. No, there's not. If it's boring, it's not worship. I don't know what you want to call it, but if it's boring, it's not worship. Because when you come to worship, you're not coming to a funeral. You're coming to a celebration of a God who loves you, a celebration of a Savior who has risen from the dead and is alive forever, and a celebration of a Holy Spirit who lives in you, guides you, and empowers you. So when you don't participate and you don't celebrate worship by participating with joy, you are quenching the Holy Spirit. But then he goes further. He says this, pray continually. Another way that you can throw fire or throw fuel on the fire of the Holy Spirit is just being a spirit of prayer. Every worship service ought to be soaked in prayer and saturated in prayer. I've told you this before. You've probably forgotten it. Every seat that is being occupied right now has been prayed over. As a matter of fact, every seat in this building has been prayed over. Our staff gets here early on Sundays, and, 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 and usually this is my section, by the way, so you better feel special. But I, I take the middle section and we literally lay hands. We walk through every aisle and every row, and we literally lay hands, and we pray over every person that's going to sit in every seat in this building. Right now, while I'm up here preaching, you don't know this, we've got people in another location who are praying during our worship service. They're praying for the worship service. You know why we do that? Because we believe we ought to be praying continually. Now, the word for continually doesn't mean continuously occurring. It means constantly recurring. So in other words, what I'm saying is, look, if all we ever did was pray, if we really took that to a literal extreme, if all we ever did was pray, we wouldn't do anything else. What, what Paul was saying was just always maintain the spirit of prayer. A good way to picture this is a phone line. Keep the phone line always open. Never hang up your prayer phone. In other words, we should walk in this building praying for the service. We ought to walk out of this building praying for the world. During the week, we ought to be praying for each other. You ought to be praying for me as I preach. You should be praying for the people around you who need Jesus. See, you don't have to be in the right place to pray, but I will tell you this, if we're not always ready to pray and we're not always in the spirit of prayer, we are not in the right place. This is God's house. And Jesus himself said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. So one of the ways that we, threw, we throw fuel on the fire of the Holy Spirit and make the fire burn hotter and the light shine brighter is when we stay in an attitude of prayer. We're constantly connecting with our Heavenly Father. And then he says this, give thanks in all circumstances. <laughs> we should be thankful that we get to come together to worship. We should be thankful when we are together in worship. For God's church and God's people, listen, every Sunday is Thanksgiving Sunday. 
I got news for you. If you're a believer, every day is Thanksgiving Day. You may not cook a turkey every day. You may not have the dressing and the goblet gravy and all of that stuff every day, but I will tell you this. Every day as a believer is Thanksgiving Day. We're to be thankful at all times, in all things, in all places. And see, when you walk, when people walk into a church, if there's a church there where they understand the most important thing we can do in this building right now is make sure we're intensifying and fueling the fire of the Holy Spirit, then when people walk in, they're going to see a people filled with joy. They're going to see people see people praying with and for each other, and they're going to see people doing it with a grateful heart. And I'll tell you, when people walk into that kind of a church and people experience that kind of worship, they cannot help but feel the fire and see the light of the Holy Spirit in that worship. So what's the first thing we must do if we're not going to quench the Spirit? We must celebrate God's worship. Here's the second thing Paul says, and it really makes sense. He said, you demonstrate God's will. When you demonstrate God's will, you are fueling the fire of the Holy Spirit. Because here's another, way, here's another thing you can do to quench the Holy Spirit. When, for whatever the reason, doesn't matter what your excuse is, when you say, I'm not going to do the will of God in this situation in my life. I'm not going to obey God in this area of my life. I'm not going to do what I know God wants me to do in this area of my life. You know what you just did? You just quenched the Holy Spirit. That's why we read at the conclusion of all these commands, we read this, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, you go back and read that in context. What was Paul saying? He was saying, look, I know what the will of God is for you, both individually and as a church. It is God's will for us to come together in worship. And when we do, it is God's will for us to come to that worship service and be full of joy, to be prayed up in praying, and to be thankful regardless of what is going on in our life. So it is the will of God that we come together to worship and is the will of God that we truly worship when we come together. So when we come to worship, when we can come to worship, but we don't, okay? You can come, but you don't even bother coming. You know what you do? You throw water on the fire of the Holy Spirit. But when we do come to worship, <laughs> but we don't truly worship, we go through the motions. We get on our iPhones or our iPads, and we let our minds wander 100,000 places. We look at our watches, bored to tears, and it's our own fault. When we come to worship, but we don't truly worship we throw water on the fire of the Holy Spirit. Listen, anytime the Spirit of God speaks to your heart and my heart, anytime the Spirit of God speaks to our heart and is leading us to do something and we don't do it, we quench the Holy Spirit. This has happened to you. I bet it's happened to me. I mean, I know it's happened to me. I bet it's happened to you. Have you ever had the experience of, of, of just in your heart knowing you need to read your Bible? But instead of reaching for your Bible, you reach for the controller and you turn on the television instead. You know what you did? You just quenched the Spirit. Have you ever had the experience when you knew God had given you a divine opportunity, an open door to share your faith, to share Christ, to share the gospel, to say a word of witness to someone, but instead you kept silent? You just quenched the Spirit. Or... Have you ever had an opportunity when you know you should stand up for your beliefs, you should stand up for what's right, but instead of standing up, you sat down, or instead of speaking up, you shut up? That quenches the Holy Spirit. 
You know, we showed a video last Sunday, and the staff did a great job of, of what I, something that God led me to do uh, at the Southern Baptist Convention. And what really shocks a lot of people is I, I wasn't planning on doing anything when I walked into that building that afternoon. I didn't even know there was a resolution to even speak to. And had I not done what I did that you saw last week, had I not done that, I would have quenched the Holy Spirit because I knew that's exactly what he was telling me to do. See, the Word of God will always reveal the will of God to you. And then the Spirit of God will always lead you to do the will of God. And whenever the Spirit of God leads you to do the will of God according to the Word of God and you refuse to listen and you refuse to carry out what you know God is telling you to do, poof, you just threw a bucket of cold water on the fire of the Holy Spirit. You just quenched the Spirit. Now, let's just get real practical. I mean, let's just get this down to where we live every day. It is the will of God that we believe God, that we believe what God can do and that we believe that God can do anything. Now, knowing that, you know what that means? That means when we doubt God, it quenches the Holy Spirit. It is the will of God that believers be unified and be together and be one. And, and, and that we head in the same direction. We try to achieve the same goals. But when there's division and backbiting and squabbling and complaining and griping, and thank God we don't have that in our church, but so many churches do. When you have that, you quench the Holy Spirit. So to put it simply, you know what I know the will of God is for our church? Every time we walk into this building, I know it is the will of God that we all walk in here with buckets of kerosene to throw on the fire of the Holy Spirit to make it burn brighter and hotter, not to be water that puts it out. You know, somebody said this a long time ago. They said this. They said, if a church is set on fire by the Holy Spirit, people will come just to watch it burn. I believe that is so true. It is the will of God that our worship of God be on fire through joy, through prayer, and thanksgiving so that people in a cold, dark world can feel the fire and see the light of the Holy Spirit. So, if you're struggling right now trying to decide what God's will for your life is, let me just give you one piece of advice. Whatever you find that to be, go into the ministry, go into the mission field, Take another job, serve somewhere in our church. Whatever you know in your heart is God's will, you better do it or else you quench the spirit in your life. So what do we do to throw fuel on the fire? We celebrate God's worship. What do we do? We demonstrate God's will. And here's the last thing Paul said. We elevate God's word. We elevate God's word. There's not better quality kerosene you throw on the fire of the Holy Spirit than when you elevate the word of God. Now, let me show you what this means. See, when we come together, and I think some of us don't realize this sometimes, I have a responsibility with what I do during this time of the worship service, but you have a responsibility as to what you're going to do during this time in our worship service. We have a dual responsibility. Now, I have a responsibility individually to all of you, but that all of you corporately have a responsibility, not just to me, but to the Lord. And here's what he says in verse 20. Now, listen to this. He says, do not treat prophecies with contempt. Now, I know what you're asking, what does that mean? Well, let me kind of explain this to you. Remember that when Paul wrote this letter to this church, they didn't have this. They, they didn't have a Bible 
like we have. They had some copies of certain books. They may have had the Torah, may have had some of the Old Testament, maybe all of the Old Testament, but they certainly didn't have the New Testament because it was in the process of being written. It was still being written even as Paul wrote this letter. In fact, that's what he was doing when he wrote this letter. He was writing a part of the Bible. How did that happen? Well, the Holy Spirit gave the gift of prophecy to certain people like Paul, like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, like Peter and James and so forth. And this is the way that God speaking through them, through these spiritually inspired prophets, this is the way that he guided the development of the early church. And, and, and the way he taught the early church, this is what you ought to believe and this is how you ought to live. Now that we have the complete Bible, we have this, the, 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 this particular gift of prophecy in terms of new revelation and new truth of God is no longer needed. However, there is still a prophetic ministry in the church because prophecy has more than one meaning. Sometimes prophecy means you tell the future, okay? I can't do that anymore and don't need to because the Bible tells us all we need to know about the future. And then prophecy meant God divi divinely inspired revelation where God would inspire, quote unquote, prophets to speak his truth and to write his word. We don't have that anymore. However, there is a gift of prophecy where preachers and teachers of God's word today under the illumination and the guidance of the Holy Spirit take God's word and they have this gift of preaching biblical truth in such a way that it connects that it's relevant, that it's applicable to modern day life. And we all know this, down through the centuries, God has obviously given certain people a remarkable degree of insight into Scripture, into its meaning and its application to everyday life. That's what I call today and what we would call the gift of prophecy. This is the modern day meaning of what this means. Do not treat prophecies, that is, do not treat men and women who teach the Bible, men who preach the Bible, men who preach truth, do not treat what they do with contempt. Now, again, what does that mean? Well, let me tell you what it means for me. When a preacher fails to preach God's Word, or when we, we, we won't touch certain subjects because they're too controversial, out of a fear that somebody might be offended, Paul says, that quenches the spirit. On the other hand, when we walk into church and we refuse to obey what we hear, when we choose to follow what the culture says rather than what God says is true, or when we only accept those parts of the Bible that we like and make us feel comfortable, but we reject the rest of it, Paul says, we quench the Holy Spirit. Now, the Spirit of God is probably, in my opinion, being quenched in more churches today than we assume or we care to admit, because I think all of us would have to agree with what I'm about to say. I, I, think we would all, I think I'd get a unanimous vote on this. I don't think there's anybody in this room that would say, I just think the Bible's being preached too much. I, I just think we got too much Bible going on. I just think we hear too much of God's Word. I don't think anybody would say that. I also don't think that anybody in this room would say, you know, I think we obey the Bible too much. I think there's just too much obedience going on out there. We need a little more disbelief. We need a little more disobedience. We need a little more doubt. We need a little more, you know, uh, debate about what God is saying and what God says is true. And so here's, why we're, here's what we're seeing right now happening. We're seeing two things happen simultaneously. On the one hand, we're seeing in some ways the church is becoming bigger than it's ever been before. And yet at the same time, we're seeing it's becoming smaller in its influence. You know why I believe that's true? 
Because the way we handle God's word and the way we respond to God's word do we determine whether or not we quench the spirit. So you say, okay, man, listen. So how are we supposed to respond to the word? If God's word is being preached and being taught, how am I supposed to respond to it in such a way that I make sure that I do not quench the spirit? All right. He goes on to tell us exactly how to do this in the next verses. He says, do not teach prophecies with contempt, but test them all. And then he says this, once you've tested them all, hold on to what is good. Now, let me tell you what he means. I know what the Holy Spirit wants preachers and teachers to do. He wants us to proclaim his word. He wants us just to preach his truth. However, I also know what the Holy Spirit wants for all of us to do. He wants all of us to listen to what is preached. Not just hear it, but really listen to it. And then we are to test everything we hear. So let me, just, let me tell you something I, I want to ask you to do for me every time you hear me preach. Yeah, I, I, you know, and I hope you do this for everyone, but I'm asking you to do it for me. I do not want you to accept anything that I say just because I said it. You say, well, but, but, but you got a PhD. I don't care. But I like you. You're a funny guy. Irrelevant. But you're a dog. I mean, we, we all love the dogs. Nothing to do with this. I do not want you to take anything I say at face value just because I say it. I want you to test everything you hear. And say, well, how do you do that? I'm going to share with you three ways. In fact, this will help you from now on. Every time you hear any preacher preach or any teacher teach on anything concerning the Bible, there are always three ways to evaluate everything you hear. And you'll know then, is this good or is it evil? Is it right or is it wrong? All right? You might want to jot these down. First of all, test everything by God's word. That's always test number one. Test everything by God's word. In other words, when you hear any preacher say anything, you ought to ask yourself, hey, does this measure up to what all of the Word of God teaches? Does this measure up with what I know the general thrust of the Bible teaches about this subject? And by the way, if you hadn't figured this out, then you ought to know it. That means it's important that you study your Bible. It's important that you read your Bible. It's important that you know what is in the Bible, and know what God teaches. So, number one, test everything you hear by all of God's Word. Number two, test everything by God's Son. And what I mean by that is this. If anything's ever said, I don't care who says it. I don't care how sweet it sounds. If it contradicts, if it absolutely contradicts who Jesus claimed to be, or it contradicts what Jesus claimed to do, reject it. And then here's the third way you test it. By God's gospel. In other words, if you ever hear anyone say anything, even if they claim it comes from the Bible, if they say something that would ever lead you to believe that you can earn a relationship with God, that the only thing that's important is you just be good enough for God, and if it denies salvation by God's grace through our faith, you need to reject it. He says, hold on to what is Good. You know what that word good means? That, that's a word that was related to a genuine coin versus a counterfeit coin. In other words, here's what Paul was saying. You know why you ought to test everything you hear no matter who says it? Because just like there's genuine truth, there's counterfeit truth. 
Not all preaching and all teaching is the real thing. There's counterfeit preaching going on today. And we've got to be wise enough to discern what is good and what is not. Because this is why this is so important. One of these days, I'm going to stand before God and I'm going to be judged by every word I preach to you. I'm going to be judged by everything I said on this platform. I'm going to be judged by that. However, one of these days, you will stand before God. And you're going to be judged by how you responded to it or whether you responded to it. And how you respond to it or whether you respond to it will determine whether or not you're throwing kerosene on the fire of the Spirit or water. So let me just kind of wrap this up. You know what a dead church is? Have you ever been in a dead church? I have. And you know what a dead church is? A dead church is simply a, holy, a church where the Holy Spirit has been quenched. Here's a good definition. A dead church is a church where the fire has gone out. I'll tell you, I've walked in churches, I guarantee you have too. I have walked into churches in the dead of summer and they were cold from the minute that I walked in and they were cold till the minute I walked out. You know what I figured out? You know why they're so cold? You know why the people were cold? You know why the church was cold? You know why the worship was cold? You know why the whole thing was cold? Because the fire had gone out. And there was no fire to warm me. There was no light to guide me. As I look back on some of the cold, dead churches I've been in, it was because of these three factors every time. There was no celebration of God's worship. There was no demonstration of God's will. And there was no elevation of God's word. So let me close with this. It's such a great story. There was a lighthouse keeper. And he worked on this dangerous stretch of coastline where it was very perilous for ships to sail. And once a month, he received a new supply of oil to make sure that the light was always burning. Well, one night, a friend of his from the village came and, and begged for some oil to keep his family warm. So he gave him some oil. The same night, a father came by to ask for some oil to put in his lamps because he had run out of oil and he had to see because he couldn't even work and do the job that he did without oil. And so he gave him some oil. And then another person came by and said, I need some oil to lubricate some of my machinery. Well, the reason he gave this oil out was because all these people were personal friends of his and he wanted to please everybody. So he granted their request. Well, what happened was that toward the end of the month, he ran out of oil. When he ran out of oil, the light in the lighthouse went out, and that very night, several ships shipwrecked, and several lives were lost. When the authorities investigated, and they brought this man before their tribunal, he was sorrowful. He was repentant. He gave all these excuses. When he got finished, they simply looked at him, and they said this. You were given oil for one purpose and one purpose only, to keep that light burning. Now, I want to tell you something, church family. God is so good. He has given us the Holy Spirit. He's given the Holy Spirit in every one of us. And if we want him and accept him, he's given the Holy Spirit to be over this building every time we walk into it. And I want to tell you, you've got one job as a believer and we've got one job as a church. And that is to make sure that we are always fueling the fire of the Holy Spirit so that when people walk into this church, they feel the warmth and they see the light and they're drawn 
to Jesus Christ. Listen, we want to see lives transformed in this church. This is what we live for. We live to see people leave darkness and come to light. We, we live to see people get out of the coldness of sin and into the heat of the love of God. That can only happen through the fire of the Holy Spirit. So may we never as a church say, fire's out. May we always say in our church, fire is up. Let's pray together. With his bowed and with eyes closed. If you're not a believer today, I know exactly what the Holy Spirit wants to do in you, through you, with you, and for you. The Holy 